Good day, Brigade. This is Bobby, and today we're going to have an interesting topic for you. We're going to be covering a little bit on the Irish Troubles and what lessons from it the United States can learn and apply to their situation today. Yeah, it's kind of interesting we're, we're going to get into here. But first, before we do any of that, we got a little fact for you. Did you know that Poland was one of the countries least affected by the Black Death? Yeah, weird. They get attacked by constant warfare and destruction and conquest, but apparently disease, at least in terms of the Black Death, nah, they're not going to be hit as hard as anyone else. Anyway, on with the show. So, as we stated earlier, we're going to be going over the Troubles. So, for many of you who may or may not know, or probably haven't heard, the Troubles are a low-intensity conflict just on the bordering of what you would argue as a war. It wasn't quite a war, but it was pretty close, mostly along ethno-nationalist lines between the Irish and the Northern Irish. Most of the conflicts took place in Northern Ireland, but they extended throughout the island, went to England, and even parts of mainland Europe at times. The conflict began around the late 60s, and most people agree that it ended with the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. However, there are still occasionally acts and tensions and discomforts between the two, as history has shown, and as the recent Brexit had kind of exacerbated a little bit. Thankfully, nothing came of the destruction of the Good Friday, nothing destroyed the Good Friday Agreement, so we're good on that part. But it's still a very, very touchy issue in the Isles, and for very good reason. In fact, the conflict itself, as we stated earlier, didn't really end until 1998 and started in the 60s. So imagine living in Ireland, particularly Northern Ireland. And for 30 years of your existence, there's a good chance you're going to get involved in a battle, skirmish, war, or an attack. Like, we're talking maybe 60 plus percent chance minimum. The whole conflict began during a campaign by the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association ending the discrimination against the Catholic nationalist minority against the Protestantist government in Northern Ireland. The government attempted to suppress the protests. The police were overwhelmingly Protestant and accused sectarianism and police brutality. We're going to stop right here for a second. Even though we do say Protestant and Catholic a lot, while these are major dividing lines between the North and the rest of Ireland, they aren't really what spurred the whole thing. They're just a better way to try to define the two factions, as many people on the Irish cause were Catholic and many in the Northern Irish cause were Protestant. This goes back to a long history by the dominance of England and the Catholic Church and all that. But the conflict is not really religious in nature. It's more sectarian and civil and political in nature. It... It doesn't really... Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, to continue forward, the campaign of the police of the police accusing of the sectarian and police brutality was violently opposed by the loyalists who said it was a republican front for the Irish Republic. So, yay, let's just throw conspiracy into the fun little mix we have here. 
increasing to the tensions that led to the severe violence in August 1969. What happened in 1969? Well, through the 12th to the 16th of August, there was a thing called the Northern Ireland Riots. Obviously. This is probably the first major conflict scene to start the Troubles. As for many people, my god, yeah, oh, like, some of the things they show, <sighs> sorry, the whole Troubles is a very interesting historical event and every day still learning more about it. Anyways, this whole deployment, this whole thing led to the deployment of British troops within Northern Ireland and became its longest ever operation for the British Army. What were called peace walls were built in some areas to keep the two communities apart. You know, a border wall. <laughs> and some Catholics initially welcomed the British Army as a more neutral force than the RUC. What is the IRUC? The Royal Ulster Constabulary. The Ulster Police. But it soon became seen as hostile and biased, especially after Bloody Sunday. What was Bloody Sunday? A horrible, horrible massacre that occurred in Bogside. Or, sorry, Derry. <sighs> Fourteen people were dead. Thirteen of them were just straight up killed. The other man died due to his injuries. And... It pretty much was absolutely insane. It was a horrible, horrible massacre. British soldiers shot at 26 unarmed people in a protest. They were, guess what they were protesting? Internment without trial. It's, again, another event that in itself could cover a whole, whole thing on its own. So we're not gonna go too much into detail, but basically note that it was one of the major conflicts that occurred and 14 people were immediately killed in Derry, Northern Ireland. 13 people were immediately killed, with a 14th later dying in Derry. Derry being in Northern Ireland, kinda like way, way north. <laughs> Basically, your main participants were the paramilitaries of the Republic, which were the Provisional Irish Republican Army, the Irish National Liberation Army, and they were squaring off basically against loyalist paramilitaries like the Ulster Volunteer Force and Ulster Defense Association. The British State Security Forces and the RUC and other political activists were also involved as well. Security forces of the Republic Island also played a little bit of a role, and most of the paramilitaries of the Republic carried out guerrilla campaigns against the British forces as well as a bombing campaign against its infrastructure of the infrastructure of Ulster. Loyalists were targeting the Republicans and Nationalists, and in some cases attacked the entire wider Catholic community is what they described as retaliation. Again, it wasn't necessarily because of the religious aspect of it, but rather because, yeah. It was just this weird history of it all. In times, there were even bouts of going back and forth with it and fights between paramilitary groups on the same side. So, to make it even more of a clusterfuck, basically you've got your Irish Republican forces fighting off against your Ulster forces, and, fight, and those two are also fighting off against British forces, or in turn fighting both of those forces, but occasionally both the Irish Republican and the Ulster Volunteer forces will accidentally attack themselves. Or even purposefully. 
So we got a bit of a clusterfuck going on here. And you can start to see how it's not necessarily a civil war, but it's something. It's a conflict, without question. And it's kind of interesting to note this, because this is where we're going to about to tie this back into the United States and what's happening in modern day. In fact, you could argue a very similar thing is happening. So, in our personal belief, will the United States ever enter a second civil war? Not likely. What we believe will happen is more likely a situation with the Troubles, in which you have multiple factions fighting on similar sides and occasionally fighting against each other because they don't necessarily agree with the visions of one another. In fact, we're starting to see patterns of this already, especially with the insurrection on January 6th, as well as many divides between, like, Oath Keepers and QAnon and things like that. Some of them tend to be more towards the fascist angle of governance, some tend to be specifically pro-Trump, and then there are tendencies within these two that actually separate them greatly. In fact, QAnon followers tend to argue that they're not necessarily against the idea of democracy, but rather feel this particular form of it is incredibly flawed. On that angle, they're kind of right, but... You know, literally every other angle of their thoughts and existence is dead fucking wrong. Anywho, we kind of believe that this is going to lead to a similar situation if the intensity gets even greater. Why? Because we don't believe the United States Army will really get involved at any level of heavy capacity that'll call it to a full-on war, but there will be civilian conflict without a doubt, and in many of these states it'll be within their own state. Why? Because the states are much more politically divided than the Electoral College likes to give it credit to. Many people see the United States as, oh, there are some blue states and some red states and the occasional purple swings. Not really. Most of the United States, historically speaking, has actually been pretty much the swing. It's the way that things have been organized through gerrymandering and other stuff like that that really gives you that feel that some states are red and some states are blue. When in reality, this couldn't be further from the truth. Most states are purple. It's just gerrymandering that kind of fucks it over. Which kind of continues the idea of the whole electoral college not really being an electoral system, but rather kind of like a really sophisticated game. The idea is basically you have to strategize and plan the field out as best as you can to gain your advantage at top. We believe this is part of what's going to lead to this whole conflict that gets into... We're not going to say it's gonna happen, we're just going to say it's a possibility. What we call the American Troubles. Undoubtedly, we are starting our opening phases of such an idea. If the idea continues and the consistency and the divide keeps growing and increasing, and the subdivisions between the two, left and right, grow even more, your odds of having a Troubles-like event are going to go up exponentially. And in the United States, it's at an all-time high. With the way the states are divided too, in that they're almost more like their own little nations and less like actual united provinces within a greater state system, though there are some examples of that, but it should be noted that these states do have a great level of autonomy, more so than most autonomous territories within any other country, and that these little autonomy units will basically be where the conflicts occur. You can't really say it's a civil war of the United States if the states are fighting themselves. Like, 
not necessarily, oh, Alabama and all the southern states are fighting all the northern states with the original Civil War, but more rather, Ohio seems to be at war with itself, Iowa seems to be at war with itself, that kind of idea. We're not saying that any of these states necessarily would go to war with themselves, we're just saying that, again, it's a possibility, as most states in reality are more purple in nature than red or blue, and the way that the dividing of gerrymandering is going, it's only going to frustrate these tensions even further, as you are disenfranchising the voice of certain people within certain states. Man, when you really think about it, it's really no surprise that many of these people are frustrated and feel like they don't have a voice in their government. It's because arguably they don't. Especially when you run an indirect democracy like the United States does. Indirect democracy being a polite term, the reality of it is it's a federated oligarchy. I mean, when you live in an electoral system where your vote only helps to determine where the actual vote goes, you're going to be pretty pissed too, I'd imagine. The rest of the world probably doesn't know a whole lot about what we're talking about here because... Most of the world's smart and doesn't do this. But in the United States, our political system has basically just become a game between two major competitors who think they're absolutely right, and thus we lead to a quote-unquote two-party dominant system, where in reality it's basically just a one-party state in which you trade off who's in control. I mean, in the United States, theoretically, political coalitions are possible. The reality of it is you're not going to find them. Because Duverger's law, combined with a bunch of other concepts, full in the fact that both parties want to be big tent parties, and you don't so much have a political party at the national level, but rather political confederations. So in a way, they're already kind of like that. But here's the problem with all that. The problem is, they want to be more central unified ideas. And when one from one of the particular factions takes over, they'll often screw the other factions. This is kind of into the furthering of problems with American democracy. But I think you're getting the point that the whole idea is, even under its best possible circumstances, the American system is fatally flawed. And that fatal flaw often leads to violence and struggle between its people. And since the United States is largely isolated from the rest of the world in terms of where it can face potential conflict, a lot of that tension is going to boil over within the people themselves. The conflict between the people's ideals will get even more intense, and without an actual real enemy, the state will basically declare itself as an enemy. We're not actually saying this is specific to America either, this can be true of any sole superpower. The sole superpower concept doesn't really work super well in our word, world. And that's mostly because for one particular area to have that level of power can be incredibly dangerous, especially when they start to lose their shit, as we've seen in the last few years with the United States going off on the Trump tangent. It led to a lot of weird struggle and a lot of tension and a lot of social conflict. Not necessarily physical conflict, but, you know, social. The idea is that basically a sole superpower has no competitor. Without having a competitor, the sole superpower needs to find something to be against. 
without that being against or having some sort of goal in mind, the superpower wanders aimlessly until it basically just stagnates. In the Cold War, this was the Soviet Union, and for a while it worked out pretty well. In fact, it actually turned out pretty scary for most of it. But what we're trying to get on here is, there doesn't need to be a sole superpower concept, but at the same time, superpowers don't need to compete. In fact, when you get to a sole superpower, you start to have a country that has an existential crisis. Because when you're at the top, where do you go? In fact, the United States, we often make a lot of, sh I guess, shadow enemies, straw men, that kind of thing. I mean, with the fears of China, that's... Yeah and no. Realistically speaking, the United States has some-ish valid reason to be concerned about China, but... The reality of it is... In straight-up warfare, the sheer destruction between the United States and China would be so great that neither side would ever be able to recover. In fact, we're so economically tied with China that when Trump tried to negotiate a new trade deal, both large parts of it stalled and failed and crashed and burned tragically because of how ingrained the two economies already were. You couldn't just simply pull the two apart and have it be done. And why is this? Well, it goes back to a president we like to call Richard Nixon. What did Richard Nixon do? He opened up trade relations with the China and the United States after the Sino-Soviet split in order to gain a very powerful ally in East Asia. This ally was meant to be a strategic one, not a friendly one necessarily. So that's why China and the US are even open to each other for trade in the first place. Over time though, these trade deals got more intricate so that the Chinese army would have a serious issue if they ever tried to attack the United States. And that is, if the China and the United States ever went to war, it'd be economic self-assured destruction. We basically took the mad approach but with economics as opposed to nukes. And this is a large part of the reason why both the United States and China can't just simply pull out of trade deals. Because if they were, one of them would they would both severely suffer for it. And this is why the whole Trump trade deals with China being quote-unquote better is absolutely wrong. And why people don't seem to understand in the United States that we don't exactly make trade deals and alliances because we want friends or because we want more power or wealth. We do it because we see it as a necessity. And that's the major problem many Americans fail to see when it comes to foreign relations. We're kind of getting off on a tangent here, but this still connects back to how Americans can avoid the troubles, and that's reaching out to others and trying to foment and solidify alliances. Now, it's not that the Republic of Ireland didn't do this. In fact, it did it a lot. The thing is, though, that the Northern Irish and the Irish let their tensions boil over heavily. And obviously, though Ireland is not a superpower, the United Kingdom was. It was the UK's intervention that led to large parts of the problem. And interventionism fundamentally just causes things to get a hell of a lot worse. Because then it's like, oh, a neutral power is trying to pick a side in our conflict and tell us how to live? Alright, everybody gang up on that. 
And then you can see how both Ulster and Ireland kind of just went after the British. A similar case would be true, especially if chaos and hell unfolded in the United States, leading to a troubles there. A neutral party to the United States would likely end up being the United Kingdom, France, or one of our European allies. Now imagine if one of them were to try to take a side here. That would inflame everything. Sorry, we're kind of getting off on the tangent, but we'll cover our main central. We'll re we'll review our main central points here because we're kind of getting into the whole we're losing stuff here. Anyways, the major points that the United States can learn from the Irish Troubles is: don't separate yourselves completely, don't divide along political, ethnic, or nationalistic lines, don't try to stoke these tensions further, and most importantly. Try to find common ground with others. Without trying to find common ground, negotiating, discussion, and reasonable debate, you're going to lead to conflict. And without talking about the needs and wants of the other peoples, which is a huge problem with what the Northern Irish felt would be with the Republic of Ireland, you're going to have them rebel. And in this case, a lot of it makes sense as to why they would. But this is why we go back to the whole we need to listen to each other in politics and discuss. We need to debate and deliberate, not yell, shout, and force our way through. Compromise is essential to de democratic systems. Without any form of compromise, all you get is a switch off between a one-party state of one kind and a one-party state of another kind, and that is good for literally nobody. We hope you enjoyed our episode. Sorry, we kind of got a little tangenty here. We've been a little bit busy this whole week, which is why this episode might seem a little bit rushed and a bit more improv than the mo others. Not to say that most of our episodes don't sound totally improv. They definitely do, just this one more so than the rest. Anyways, thank you for listening. If you feel like you want to donate to us and help us push forward with the wealth of or rather push forward with continuing this and having some form of compensation, that would be great. You don't have to, it's not required by any means, but if you want to, you can just go to anchor.fm backslash bobby b-a-h-b-i dash barnett b-a-r-n-e-t-t and there should be a way to do that there. We're still working on our website, making some significant progress there. We've got the blog hooked up to it. We're not quite ready to go public yet, though, as we're still working on some design issues. And with our new podcast, Bobby Reads, we're planning on trying to tie that in towards Mondays and really cover the philosophical works that we've been more or less encouraging you to read, but haven't actually been like giving you suggestions on where to find it or anything like that. We're really thinking of starting with those kind of things. Anyways, thank you for listening. You can always go to our Facebook page and like us, add us on there. And have a great rest of your day.